Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Tasty Tidbits Podcast. Get ready to receive rich, well-seasoned, and tasteful tidbits to transform your life. Each week, Dr. Tiffany comes to you with inspirational encouragement and thought-provoking interviews to help you revolutionize your walk with God. Are you hungry for more of His presence? Then get ready. And now, your host, pastor, author, and motivational speaker, Dr. Tiffany Watkins. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Tasty Tidbits. I am your host, Dr. Tiffany Watkins. I am so excited to have you again on another episode today, and especially with my special guest today, Reverend Cheryl Kincaid. Um, And we're going to be talking about some things that I think that is very uh, interesting and will be helpful to the listeners today. And so before we get started, I want to let you know a little bit about uh, Reverend Kincaid. Reverend Cheryl Kincaid is a Presbyterian minister who studied marriage and family therapy at Bethel Seminary and has her Master's of Divinity from San Francisco Theological Seminary. She is a prolific author of four books, Hearing the Gospel Through Charles Dickinson, A Christmas Carol, which is the winner of the 2013 Independent Christian Publishers Illumination Reward for Bible Study, also The Little Clay Pot, The Little Candle That Was Frightened of the Dark, Carrie's Thorn, and and A Forgotten Door Call Home. Reverend Kincaid seeks to tell the story of God's comforting redemption and his redemptive grace in the midst of an imperfect world. So thank you for being a part of the podcast today, Reverend Cheryl, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for inviting me to come to speak to you today. Yes, we are so excited to have you, but before we get started, would you let the listeners know a little bit more about yourself? Um, Well, you did a very good job reading my bio there. Um, I grew up in an abusive home, found faith in Jesus Christ as a young girl, Um, naively thought, that my faith was, I would just grow up and and be the um, Christian novel. I would be able to meet the perfect Christian guy at Christian camp or in service, get married, have kids, and my abuse wasn't going to affect my life. And I was wrong. (laughs) Like a lot of Christian women will tell. Um, I served God to the best of my ability. And then when I, and I really didn't start to date till I was 18 because I, I was just part of discipleship and evangelism, which I loved. But when I started to date, the patterns of my abuse came, uh, my childhood abuse came into my dating relationships. I found men who were disrespectful and unkind and um, found myself in working situations that were disrespectful and unkind. Plus, I had to deal with PTSD. So I was the first generation in my family to ever go to college. So that in itself um, was hard. Um, my, we grew up on welfare. My dad was in and out of prison. So just going to college was difficult on itself. And I was doing it to prepare myself for Christian service. But I made some mistakes with student loans. I made some financial mistakes. But I was able to move out, keep an apartment. And then on top of all that, I had PTSD really bad. And that's what drove me into counseling. Tried to cast out my um, nightmares and flashbacks as demons till I realized they were memories um, found a wonderful Christian counselor um, who was able to see me without charging me a lot. And then eventually <laughs> I got scholarships. 
and started to facilitate support groups with survivors of abuse. And at that time, God gave me a call to Christian ministry. And um, I went to seminary and um, I preached the gospel primarily now. But the abuse narrative is part of my life because it's part of my Christian testimony. Mm -hmm. As much as Paul refers to his testimony about how he was the worst of the worst and persecuted the brethren of the faith, I refer to my testimony too, that that I was in a situation where Jesus sanctified, he saved me on Calvary. I accepted Christ as a young child, but I still needed him to continue to save me through um, the destructive patterns of abuse. And that's most of my books hit on those subjects. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that's what we're talking about today. And Reverend Kincaid, uh, all, you know, me as well, me and my sisters, we were raised also um, in a, up in abusive home. And so we went through a lot of uh, some things that really, as a child, traumatized us and we had to be delivered from. And of course, Jesus delivered us from those, but it was a process. Um, and so for those that are listening out there and you may think that you can't get through it um, with Jesus Christ's help, you can and with counseling, you know, and with somebody that's there to be able um, to understand where you are, because it's so important to have someone um, that can listen and understand where you are. And so that's why we have Reverend Cheryl Kincaid today. And we're talking about family violence in Christian circles and just Christian um, abuse in the Christian homes, as well as just anybody who's experiencing de- domestic violence. So Reverend Cheryl, what is it or why is it difficult to talk about family violence, especially when it comes to Christian circles? Well, you know, I think that we bought into a narrative that's not necessarily biblical. And the, and the narrative is kind of like the Cinderella complex. Um, so the Cinderella complex says that Cinderella had a horrible life and the prince came and rescued her and she went to the castle and they lived happily ever after. And we bought into a narrative that someone struggles with sin and pain and hardship. Then they find Jesus Christ and they live happily ever after. Now, that's not exactly the story of the Apostle Paul. I challenge you to read the book of Acts again um, or the story of any of the apostles or any of the Old Testament patriarchs and matriarchs. They found Mm -hmm. faith in God, which was their comfort and their stable and their empower, but they still had to go through the trials of life. They still had to struggle with it. So first, we have to admit that someone can be a Christian and be stuck in this trap. And the trap is behavioral that's been learned over generations. And so it's behavior that has to be broken. And so um, that I think it's difficult to talk about because first we have to admit that Christians have to go through it. And secondly, I think we have an inappropriate um, emphasis on the importance of the family. And please don't get me wrong on this. I believe in the family. Mm -hmm. But um, before 1950s and 60s, the church was Salvaic-centered. By salvation center, I mean it was salvation centered. Right. So whether you went to an Episcopalian or Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian church, everyone was concerned about your salvation, your relationship with God. And somewhere in the 60s and 70s, we decided that we would solve the moral ills of our society by focusing in on the family. There's even an organization called Focus on the Family. And we said the family was the most important institution. I need to tell you that's not in the Bible. The most important institution is the salvation that we find in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. There are many um, Old Testament and New Testament servants of God who, for whatever reason, don't live in families. We think of Anna, the prophetess, who did that beautiful prophecy over Jesus when he was born. She um, was married for a short time, then she was divorced and lived in the temple. 
We can think of poor Hagar, which was in a very dysfunctional relationship. When she runs from Abraham, the angel asks her two important questions. Where are you going and where have you come from? Any therapist will ask you that question. <laughs> what are your patterns, Hagar? And, and she is rescued at the end of the story. She has to leave the situation twice, but she doesn't necessarily live in a family after she leaves Abraham's um, Abraham's home. So we need to stop. The family is an institution that God has provided for us, but it's not an institution above our salvation. It's mm-hmm. not an institution above our our role as being a Christian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, the second thing is we need to know the difference between forgiveness and denial. Now, it is true. One of the greatest promises that Christians have is Christ forgave us. And um, and because he forgave us, we're obligated to forgive others. I, you have no argument with me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the greatest gift that we ever had was what Jesus did on the cross. But there's a difference between forgiveness and denial. In order to forgive someone, you first must you first must admit that they've done you wrong. You must admit that you've been violated, mm-hmm. maybe horribly violated. And when you admit that, the only logical response to admitting that someone has done you wrong is to um, treat that person with caution. Because even though um, you may be living a life in dedication with Christ, they may not. Even Jesus himself says in the book of Matthew, for he did not trust them, for he knew their hearts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So trust doesn't always come along with forgiveness. Boundaries come along with forgiveness. When we forgive, we release the revenge or we release the punishment of that person, or we release the ability to fix that person to God. So I'm not thinking, well, maybe if I did this, this, and this, I could change them. Forgiveness is hands off. This person belongs to God. And when I get angry at them again, I'm going to give it back to God. There's a curious story in Matthew where Peter asked Jesus, Jesus, Lord, how how many times should I forgive someone? Mm -hmm. And he says, 70 times 70. Now, 70 times 70 is a number that represented in the Hebrew calendar eternity. So what does that mean? Well, for me, I think it means that there are some horrible things that happen to us that are so egregious that we have to spend the rest of our lives forgiving that person. And so that means the anger is going to come back. And instead of abusing yourself and say, well, I didn't truly forgive. No, you're angry because the abuse was egregious. But give it back to God and forgive again. Now, denial. Let's talk about what denial is. Denial says the abuse wasn't that bad. Or maybe worse, it was deserved. Or even worse, I played a role in the abuse. When you, um, and denial says, I can fix this person. I can love them to repentance. When mm-hmm. only God can love them to repentance. All you can be is a witness. Mm-hmm. And it breaks down any ideas of boundaries. And any idea of setting up um, consequences. And it, and it demands trust and respect when trust and respect has not been earned. Um, one of the things when I took Hebrew and Greek, one of the first words I wanted, passages I wanted to exegete was honor thy father and mother because I'm a survivor of, of incest and rape. And the word honor is respect that is due. Well, my father, who is a pedophile, does not deserve my respect in that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is where Christian counsel, Christian, some Christian counselors get it so wrong And I want you to hear me if you're a Christian counselor. The child who's been abused naturally loves the parent. 
You don't have to work on her loving him. She already does. That's biologically in her. Mm-hmm. She may get angry. She may be bitter, but she doesn't. She hasn't stopped loving them. What she needs to learn is build boundaries against them. Mm-hmm. She needs to learn to build fences. I think it's curious in Matthew 18, um, six through nine, that's when someone asked Jesus about um what does it take to be, get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, unless you become a little child like this, mm-hmm. and he means a little child amongst them, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And then he said, um, but woe to anyone who offends this little one. For it would be better for them to take a millstone and tie it around their neck and throw themselves in the sea. Mm-hmm. And Jesus makes this powerful statement that I want every survivor of abuse to hear. He said, such things will come. And I think there was a cry in his voice when he said that. Mm -hmm. God knew that these things will happen. But woe to him who through whom it comes. And then he goes into how terrible is the world because of its temptations to sin. Temptations of sin are bound to happen, but how terrible it will be for that person who sins. So if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it's better to and throw it away, for it's better to enter life crippled or without a hand than, than to enter into the eternal fire. And when it comes to abuse, there's some relationships you just have to cut them off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can say, I love you. You can say, I have trouble loving you. You can say, you make my life chaotic, but you belong to God. I'm going to do my best not to judge you anymore. Let God judge you, but I can't have you in my life because your chaotic behavior. And that's a biblical thing to do. It's a godly thing to do. The one case where a Christian community was told to let go of a, a, a person within their midst who is wrapped in sin involved incest. A man had his mother's, his father's wife. And they said, have nothing to do with him. Let him go, cut him off. In other words, let him hit bottom. Anyone who's gone to a 12-step group will tell you, you won't get sober till you hit bottom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you might be the one that's keeping them from hitting bottom. That's so good. That's so good. I love that, what you said, because sometimes I think, uh, Reverend Kikade, that sometimes we can be enablers and God does not want us to be an an enabler because they will never get to that place of a low place where they're able uh, to be able to call out to God um, because sometimes we, you know, we as listeners, or those that are listening may be their God, you know, and you have to begin to let go and say, I can't, I can't change that individual. I can only change myself. I can only mm-hmm. do what God has told me to do. And so um, cutting them off is the first step. But, you know, Reverend Kincaid, I know that some are listening saying, but that is hard. You know, mm-hmm. how do I begin um, to cut them out, especially if they're very abusive and they've threatened them, you know, they've threatened yeah. their lives. What would you say to them? And also we need to address at this point in the conversation, um, some women are so economically dependent upon their husbands mm-hmm. or their fathers that they don't have a place to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to take you back to a painful part of history, both in American slavery and in the Holocaust. Before they abused those people, they had something called the Middle Passage. And in American slavery, they put people on boats and they starved them and they belittled them. And then when they took them out, they were so weak and sick, they were easily enslaved or they were as enslaved as they could be. In the Holocaust, 
they took the Jewish people and they put them in trains. They did the same wow. thing. They starved them and they and they belittled them and they they made them feel non-human. Then they could enslave them in the concentration camps. Abusers do the same thing. It doesn't start with the blow. It starts with the remarks and the belittlement and the control and the uh, power, the economic power. And the feeling that this person feels by the time they're there, they've gone through a middle passage of maybe a couple of years of thinking, I'm nothing, I can't get out of here. And economically, it's hard to get out of there. So there's a couple of things I want to empower women to do. If you, if you hear my voice, I know a woman in this situation. First of all, tell someone. Mm -hmm. um, I know the battered um, women's services is a good place to call to get an ear, but tell a member of the church whom you can trust. If you're a Christian, tell someone you're in a situation that you feel you can't get out of. Second of all, find a way to save up some money to get out when it's time. Find a jar and put it in your kitchen, um, a place where you can call an Uber. Have um, your phone. When there's a fight, your phone and keys, put them in a safe place in the yard so you can get out of there in case he grabs them. Um, so there's there's some very practical things you could do and find a place to go. Find someone that you can go to. Know of a hotel that'll be cheap to stay in at a night till you find a shelter because not always do they find a shelter. And I always say this. And I know this is the hardest thing to say because part of the middle passage for abusers is this. Men who abuse or women who abuse come from abusive backgrounds themselves. They bonded with the person whom they're abusing by telling the sorrows of the childhood, which were very real. So you really don't want this person to get hurt. Mm -hmm. You've heard how they've been abused. Calling the police is a hard thing to do. It's just hard. Mm -hmm. And I will be the first to say that. I think women are belittled for not calling the police. But let me tell you, I'm with you, sister and brother, if you're frightened of calling the police. I get that. Mm -hmm. Because you don't want to see that person with their hands behind them in handcuffs, but it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the difficulty. And you've got to determine it's going to be him or me in the end. Mm -hmm. And God doesn't expect you to be responsible for his life. God will ultimately hold you responsible for your life. That's right. That's your stewardship. And so the getting the police involved is not a bad thing. But also make sure that you nurture those friendships you have because um, you're going to need them. Um, I talked about the middle passage because oftentimes an abuser will isolate a woman, mm -hmm. isolate the, the victim. And um, find activities with, that your abuser will let you go to, such as church. Find a prayer meeting, something you know he won't go to, and make a friend whom you can share this with. And it may just be your pastor or maybe a woman of the church. Um, or, or a man of the church, but find someone whom you can make a friend to help empower you out of this. Because most people don't do it alone. They need helpers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just brought up Hagar, and I really want um, my my listener, your listeners to hear this. Um, Hagar, in the story in Genesis, it happens twice to her. So she's first abused. They, um, she's She's abused by Abraham and Sarai. She runs away. An angel sees her, says, Hagar, where are you going? Where are you coming from? In other words, what are the patterns? And Hagar says, my mistress has abused me. And the angel doesn't rescue her, but he says, I'm going to give you a gift. 
You've now been seen by the God who sees you. That's the gift. God knows where you're at, Hagar. Mm -hmm. And in those days, there were no shelters to send her. She had no place else to go. So she goes back understanding she's seen by God. But then it happens again. And I love that it happens again in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 16, Genesis 12. The reason why I love that it happens again is because in our life, it may happen again. Mm -hmm. You may get out of the abusive relationship. You may get counseling. You may be empowered. You may think you found Prince Charming the second time. Me, you passed all the tests and the abuse may occur again. This happens. This is life. Mm -hmm. What you do is you learn from it. You learn to draw boundaries again. You learn to use language during the courtship. And then if it doesn't work, you still have the freedom to leave again. But always give yourself, make sure that your salvation, your relationship with Jesus, your mental health is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and prioritize that because God expects you to prioritize that. Yes, yes. And, you know, something I really want to talk about that I think um, we uh, in the church a lot of times take out of context is Ephesians 5. I want to read a little bit of that passage. Just says in Ephesians 5, 22 through 23, it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also are the wives to submit to their husbands in everything. Uh, could you give the listeners an understanding of this passage and what it really means and how men yeah. use a verse out of context to manipulate and abuse their wives at times? We certainly do. And um, so I'm, I'm turning it to it now on my, on my phone. Um, so just. Okay. Let's just, well, I'll just grab a Bible. Okay. <laughs> Because I think that's very important, listeners, as um, we we look at this scripture, because submit, and Reverend Kincaid is going to explain to us, that does not mean that we are to submit to be abused. Um, yeah. So it's so very important to understand that because God wouldn't abuse us. And so it's so important to understand that. Yes, it is. So um, it's called the submission dilemma. People talk about it all the time. Ephesians 5 But you started with verse 21. And what I want to do is start with verse. um, I want to start with verse 20. Okay. Always and for everything, giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, the father, and then be subject one to another, submit one to another. (laughs) So people just. (laughs) Glide over that. Yes, yes. So in the marriage, we are required for both husband and wife to submit one to another. So good. Mm-hmm. So the husband submits some time. And in the Greek, the word submit isn't in that sentence. It's wives as unto your husbands. Husbands love your wives. So the wives show their submission by following his example. And husbands show their submission by loving her. Now, people don't say that, but that's, I wish I'd hear that more from the pulpit, but that's the Greek exegesis. <laughs> it's also written as a contract. And so um, the, the the Hebrew word contract is the suverani. It's, it's the word that we use for covenant. Um, so in the covenant, and God takes this permission too, I will protect you if you do this. But if you don't do this, I'm not going to protect you anymore. We see that all the time in the Old Testament. 
Mm-hmm. And to the children of Israel, when they started to abuse um, their children by having them walk through the fire, and mm-hmm. when they started to take slaves and treat them poorly, God enabled them to be taken into captivity. So God said, I'll lift up my protection. In the suzerainty contract, you have the right to back out. If he doesn't love you as Christ loved the church, you're not obligated to submit to him. Wow. That is the contract, (laughs) but it is submit one to another. So the next Mm -hmm. time a man says, be subject, says, wives, submit yourself, say, start with verse 21, not verse 22, please. Uh Be submissive one (laughs) to another. Um, And in this passage about submitting, as you said, it's, it's a response to being loved as Christ loved the church. And it's a mutual submission. And anyone who's been in any relationship, romantic or non romantic in order for a friendship to work there has to be mutual submission Mm -hmm. mutual giving in Mm -hmm. and it's not um there's two words for um obedience and submission but it's not there's one for ikpas which means little one children obey your parents she's not to submit as a little one she's not a child this is what bothers me yes uh, (laughs) that i see in the church and i see people mask it as they is women being treated as children or women learning how to act like children to charm a man mm-hmm. um, using a childish voice or making childish jokes or acting like I'm kind of dingy. Will you help me? Those aren't the women in the Bible, by the way, <laughs> I don't find Deborah that way. Oh. <laughs> I don't find Mary or, or Sarai that way. Mm-mm. I don't find um, Hagar that way. I don't find there, there's, there's strong, powerful women in the Bible that rise up and take their role. Um, and and we need to model our lives after that emphasis, not out, out of Gracie Allen from Burns and Allen. Um, <laughs> so th- there's part of that, that, that whole idea is that, um, that he is to present his wife as the church. Christ died for the church. So that's how he's showing his love. And she is, is mutually submissive by helping to follow his leadership. But anyone will tell you that's been in a marriage, there's times that um, both of you lead. There's times that the the stronger person leads because the person's weak because of illness. That's Mm -hmm. how marriages last. And that's why Paul starts this passage by being subject one to another. Uh, And that's that's the important thing in it, uh, in that passage. I I love that, that you really pointed that out, that we're supposed to submit to one another. It's yes. not one-sided. And you're right. Everybody likes to start off with that verse, but read the verse before and you see it it goes both ways. It does. Mm-hmm. And as, as we're all submitting to God, so this is where I think the umbrella of authority is so bad. I don't know if you've heard it. There's a big umbrella and the man has a relationship with God and the woman rests under the umbrella, she'll be safe and the child under the umbrella. Now I went to Bill Gothard's Institute and took that and it messed me up so much because my dad was sexually abusive. But in Mormonism, you get to God through your husband. That's the way Mormonism works. In Christianity, our faith is atomistic. In other words, we're all Adam. We have a one-in-one relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In your marriage, you're both under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. and, and we know that it suffering's a mystery but there's no amount of suffering that can come to us that doesn't go through the hands of jesus but no husband can be expected to protect his wife from the ills of this world so that that um image is unfair to men 
Mm-hmm. She can go to work and get emotionally beaten up. And for her to expect to come home and have her husband rescue her, that's not an adult thing. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. got to, I mean, I'm sure he's going to give his advice, but she's got to go back and face her employer on her own. Um, so no husband can protect and no wife can be, um, can hold a man up. You know, I love Jane Austen, but there's this, um, there's a, a book called Pride and Prejudice. And at one point, um, there's a girl named Jane and she's reading a book and she's with a bunch of people who are richer than her. And these girls, they're all competing for Mr. Darcy. Um, and, and, and one of the girls say, for a woman to be truly accomplished, she must know Latin and Greek and have a certain way of walking. And she was putting down Jane because Jane wasn't rich. And so Darcy thinks he's sticking up for Jane. He says, and she must um, improve herself by extensive reading and be intelligent in the conversation. And Jane's answer is so wonderful. She says, I've never seen such a woman. And if I saw her, she'd be a horrible thing to, to behold. <laughs> we can't, you know, we've lifted up these images mm-hmm. where none of us can attain. Mm-hmm. Proverbs 31 basically says, find a spouse that can handle her money and will work hard. But mm-hmm. we've exalted it to something, to a monster. <laughs> right. It's something that's horrible <laughs> to behold. Someone who homeschools and cleans the whole house and makes her own mayonnaise. Most of us can't do that. Most of us get to do the little bit that God has told us to do. And we're a little messy and we get things wrong and we lose the temper mm-hmm. with our kids and we fight with our husbands and we gossip sometimes. That's humanity. Let's embrace <laughs> right. that. That's why Jesus died. But let's let's get down. Let's take away the virtuous woman and the all protective man. That's not helping us relate as human beings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're, human, we're sinners saved by grace. We both rely on the grace of Jesus Christ to get along with each other. That Mm -hmm. should bind a marriage together in love. Um, But we don't abuse each other. And even Paul said that if there's abuse, you know, go away from each other for a time and then come back. Mm -hmm. That that's allowed in the scriptures, but we've got to stop exalting marriage as the most lovely of institutions. It's a institution that God instituted, but so is the church. So mm-hmm. is baptism. Mm-hmm. So is ordination. Mm-hmm. Um, there are all kinds of things that God ordains in our lives that we need to pay attention to. That's so awesome. So awesome. And, you know, Reverend Kincaid, while we're here, tell us why you wrote the book on domestic violence and what inspired you to write it. Um, I wrote Carrie's Thorn after I had a foster care daughter, which I miserably felt, I think, at in some ways. Um, I I indulged her because I, I guess I was trying to minister to myself as a kid and she ended <laughs> up drugging me, which wasn't the smartest thing for her to do. So I indulged her, but um, she finally had to leave my house, but I, um, I gave her the much blessings that I could. And my foster son was reunited with his mom. But I started to think about Carrie's thorn about how wrong um, the abuse dilemma is that the hard thing about me when I was going through my abuse, and there were people in my church that knew about my abuse mm-hmm. and tried to help, but this was the 60s and 70s, and CPS wasn't as prominent in those days. But um, every Christian book that I read on the subject, the woman was a non-Christian while she was being abused, and she became a Christian and stopped being abused. And then when I facilitated support groups for survivors of abuse, all the stories of abuse went something like this. It went that... Um, 
she, the abuser that was portrayed on TV or portrayed in a book or a melodrama, the, the, the abused one, the victim, I, I like to say survivor, not victim, was a little crazy or she was a prostitute or she was a foul mouth. And then she comes to the Lord and the abuse stops. And I read a ton of Christian books because I'm a reader <laughs> where um, the Christian girl finds the guy and she gets married. It's in a real complex. That's not how it's worked for me. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to write a story about a girl who was a Christian while she was being abused. Mm-hmm. And she, and you know, I didn't even know what foreign occasion meant. So I remember b- I didn't know, I knew what sex was, but I didn't, when I read in the Bible for an occasion, and I had a King James Bible, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> I, I, and I looked it up and I thought it meant if you sin occasionally for an occasion, you know? <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know what it meant. I knew what my dad did was wrong to me. It stopped when I was a certain age, but I suspected it was happening to my sisters. I didn't know who to tell. Um, but I was trying my hardest to be a good Christian girl because I loved Jesus so much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I accepted Christ when I heard his voice say to me, God is love one night after an abusive statement. And mm-hmm. I wanted so much to love Jesus. So I wanted to write a story about a girl who's trying her hardest to manage an alcoholic parent and a chronically depressed parent who's a pedophile. And um and trying to manage church. She doesn't really fit in church because even though this was my story, she goes to, um, she lives in the inner city. Her her church is in the inner city, but most of the members are from the suburbs. So they come down to this church. And um, so she's snubbed off at her own church in some ways because mm-hmm. she's different. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to write, how does she get through that dilemma? And And I also wanted to write from the perspective of the church how they genuinely try and 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 they they trip over themselves. So she, so the first one, Carrie Thorne, is about Carrie and about her going into foster care and trying to hang on her faith. And she meets a girl named Aloni from Hawaii, and Aloni um, is dealing with some racial racist issues in her family because her father is from Great Britain, her her mother was from from the islands. There's a culture class there, but her father becomes an alcoholic and she's also trying to fix her dad after her mother dies of cancer. So these two girls get to know each other and it's about their journey. Um, their first journey is being reunited with their parents. So that's Carrie's thorn. The second book of Forgotten Door Called Home is about everybody that all the caregivers that were introduced in the first book and about how they got to where they were at. And why is it so hard? Because God um, in the book of Corinthians says, comfort one another with the comfort you've been given. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a wonderful Bible verse, but I mm-hmm. think we misread it. We, I think we say sometimes in our head, even though we read those words, what we really think is fix other people like I've been fixed. <laughs> and what we do is we fumble all over ourselves. Now that's not what the scripture says. It says comfort <laughs> one another with the comfort that you've been given. Only God can fix. But um, in the passage, in the book, I, I talk about the the helpless adults around them, too. Um, uh, Lelone's aunts, who are really trying to love her, but don't understand her culture, need to understand her culture better. Um, Lelone's um, own conflict within her. Am I a Hawaiian or am I, am I, am I British? And then Carrie's um, desire to live a sane life, but still love her mom, and who wasn't the primary abuser she was the secondary abuser but how do I let go of this mom who I think if I leave her is going to fall into the gutter and so um I called it a forgotten door called home 
after kind of a sad situation, I, for a short time, facilitated a support group where, for women coming out of prostitution in -hmm. San Diego. And a woman once told me she had a fantasy that every door she ever went to, she might find home behind it. Wow. Wow. But it shows her distortion of home that here this man was paying for her. He wasn't going to treat her like something that was going to be home, but Mm -hmm. she had forgotten what home meant, but she still yearned for it. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's called a forgotten door called home. Wow. So listeners, make sure to check her out. But when she's going to get you her information before we leave it before then, would you pray for those that are listening today, Reverend Kincaid, that may have experienced domestic violence and don't know how to get through it? Or there may be listeners right now that are under some type of control and they don't know how to get out and they they're wanting to get out, but they're going through a lot. Would you pray for those listeners right now? Sure. Father God, I I lift up the individuals, the women and men that are listening and the chains that are still on them. Yes. And I think of in the Gospel of John, Zechariah's prophecy that you came for those who sit alone in darkness to lead their um, feet to the path of peace in the shadow of death and darkness in the shadowy places. Lord Jesus, I pray that they would feel your comfort right now. They would understand that you are the God who sees them, who knows them. I pray that they would um, understand that you have, you have, you know their name, and you can guide them out. And as they take whatever step they need to make, take, whatever incremental step that they can take to empower themselves, encourage them to the next step. Help them not to berate themselves if it's not as big as a step as they think they could take, but help them to take the biggest step they can to get out and um, to protect themselves. And Lord God, may they learn, as as I still continue to learn, that we were not created for abuse. This was not God's plan. Yes, Lord. Our plan was peace within you. And so I speak peace into their lives, God. Yes, we ask for your mercy to surround them as they seek to serve you. Yes. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. And listeners, know that you can cast your cares upon Jesus for he cares for you. And we are praying for you even as we are on this podcast and believing that God will make a way of escape. But you have to take that first step and talk to a support system. That is so important. I remember when my mother was going to through abuse, she didn't get out of it immediately. We were there for her to support her. But it had to be an ongoing support. And finally, she was able to make that step. And so it's so important for you to get around those that will encourage you and support you and listen to you and not judge you. And when you're able to get around those type of people, you'll have more of a strength with the help of Jesus to get out of the situation that you are in. And so I thank you so much. I appreciate you so much, Pastor Cheryl, for being on the podcast today and giving me the opportunity to interview you. But would you share with the listeners how they may get in touch with you to find out more? So um, to find out my books, um, you can go to Rev Cheryl Kincaid. It's R-E-V, no period, CherylKincaid.com. That's my website. All my books are listed there. Um, You can go onto Amazon.com and just go ahead and write in um, hearing the gospel through Dickens. Oh, you, you can go to, yeah, here, you can write in the names of my books, hearing the gospel through Dickens, a Christmas Carol, um, as well as Carrie's Thorn or Forgotten Door Caught Home, and you'll get to my author page. Um, and as well as um, 
if you want to, I'm on YouTube as well. So just type in Reverend Cheryl Kincaid on your um, on your iPad or computer or phone. Click on my picture. Right now, this I, my picture is paired with something that's a little unseemly. So just ignore that. But click <laughs> on my picture and then um, that'll take you to my page. And you can hear some of my sermons and my blog and um, see some of the book trailers for my book. Awesome. Awesome. So listeners, please go check her out so that you can find out more information and get some materials for yourself as well. And so we thank you for being a part of the episode today and listening in and may the Lord continue to shine upon you. And until next time, have a wonderfully blessed day. God bless. Amen. Thank you for listening to Tasty Tidbits with Dr. Tiffany Watkins. If you're enjoying the show, feel free to subscribe, rate, and share with your friends. To learn more about Dr. Tiffany, check out her blog on goodreads.com or visit her website at www.renewedfaithministriesinc.com. Until next time, stay blessed.